The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. Two weeks ago, Jacob's Well had a family sledding day, and, uh, and we went over to Meadowbrook Park here, and if you've been there before, they have this great big open hill that the kids can just go zooming down. But on the side, there is this uh, path that goes through the woods, and it is it's dangerous, and it's scary, and it's cool. And so which one would you go on? Well, a little boy would go on the scary one, right? And so my son Caleb, if you know what, if you're there, you know how this ends. But my son Caleb had gone down several times, and I went down with my son Corbin, and, and Caleb started down the hill, and he started in the wrong trajectory and he went straight into the woods and straight into the tree. And unfortunately, he was going down head first. And so Caleb starts crying, and I run up the hill, and I pick him up, and he's crying, and I have him in my coat, and we're walking up the hill, and then I, I pull him away, and I see that his nose is bleeding, and so I hand him off to mom, <laughs> like any, any good dad would do, and uh she takes them back to the warming shelter, and they sit there. And uh, I brought my friend Mark, and, and Mark says, you know, you should probably have that looked at. And my response was, nah, he'll be fine. You know, just rub some snow on it. He'll be okay. I get back to the warming shelter, and, you know, it's starting to get black and blue. And it's like, you know, black eyes are not new for us. And so he'll be just fine. This is why God created moms, right? But, so I'm like, he'll be fine. I just, I just want to ignore it, right? If you ignore it, it will go away. So um, last week, my wife took all the kids in because it was Cooper's uh, checkup at the pediatrician. And the pediatrician saw Caleb and, and said, you know, let me see that. And so the pediatrician checked it out and said, you know, you better take Caleb to get this checked out. And so Trish took him to the nose doctor. I don't know what that's called. Um, a nasalologist or something, but <laughs> took him to the nose doctor and the nose, and then I get this text from Trisha says, you know, not good. Call me when you have a chance. So I give her a call right away and she said, the nose is broken. They're going to have to have surgery and they're going to have to fix it. And so on Tuesday, uh, sure enough, took Caleb in. He had his nose fixed, and it should be all better in a month because the body heals quickly, which is amazing. But, you know, there are things in life that you just want to ignore, but you can't, right? Like taxes. How many of you would love to ignore taxes? All right. Not as many as I thought. I'd love to ignore taxes. But if you ignore it, it's going to come back and bite you, right? There are lots of things in life that you would just choose to ignore if you could. But it is, it is so obvious and it is so in your face that you have to make a decision about it. Because to make no decision is worse than any of the other options. Well, today we're going to see that about Jesus. Jesus had been traveling throughout Galilee, some in Judea. He was doing miraculous things. He was, doing, he was making amazing claims. And the people in that area knew that they had to make a decision on Jesus. They could not just ignore who he is. They couldn't just stick their heads in the sand. What he was saying was too amazing. What he was doing was too breathtaking. They had to figure out, they had to make a decision on who this man Jesus is. And ever since then, for 2,000 years, people have been asking the question, 
who is Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at today. If you would please open up to John chapter 7. It's page 892 in the Red Bible, page 1312 in the Children's Bible. John chapter 6 took us six sermons to get through, so you would think John 7 would take seven sermons, but don't worry, it won't. Um, I was planning on preaching this whole passage in one sermon, but this morning I figured out that it would take too long. But we're going to read through all of John chapter 7. It's a long passage, it's 51 verses, but the reason why we're reading the whole thing is because it is one big story. An event of Jesus going to the Feast of Booths, which we're going to read. And unless we read the whole story, we really don't understand what the purpose of it is. So we're going to read through the whole story. As I read it to you, I just encourage you to try to envision this in your head. Try to picture what's going on. Focus it and and, and read this as a story like you would read, you know, when you're up at night reading a book. So let's read together John 7. We'll read verse 1 through 52, the whole thing. And picture this as as I read it. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man. Others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you marveled at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with the right judgment. Some of the people in Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know 
that this is the Christ. But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed and he taught in the temple. You know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come on my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowds muttering these things about him. And the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go, that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? Why does, what does he mean by saying, You will seek me, and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, Why do you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered him, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing? And learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Let's pray. Lord God, as we look at this passage, as we look at this man, Jesus, this itinerant preacher, rural preacher, Help us as we sort through who this man might be and how that might impact our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me ask you a few questions, some quiz questions. If you wanted to make it in country music, where would you go? Nashville, right? If you wanted to make it in stage performance, where would you go? New York, right? Broadway. This one's tricky. If you want to make it in the NFL, where would you go? Green Bay, that's good. <laughs> I was thinking the combine, but where they get to see your abilities. Final one, you should all get this. If you want to make it in the movies, if you want to make it in showbiz, where do you go? Hollywood, that's right. 
In John 6, the chapter just prior to this, Jesus lost 99% of his disciples. He went from 15,000 down to about a dozen because he was preaching truth. He was preaching something that was very offensive to people. And so his numbers had dwindled down. And you can imagine his brothers coming alongside him and saying, poor Jesus, I'm so sorry that you lost all of your disciples. I'm so sorry that it diminished by 99%, but we have a plan. If you want to be the religious leader, the place to go isn't Hollywood. It isn't New York. You need to go to Judea. And you need to go there this week because this is the most important week of all. See, what the Jews were getting ready to celebrate was the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Booths was a reminder of how God had provided for their people in the wilderness when they had left Egypt and were wandering in the wilderness. How God provided bread, how God provided shelter, how God provided water. And so you had all of these people coming together from all over the Middle East that were joining together, that were sleeping in shacks. Even if you had a house, you would put a shack up on your roof because you're remembering the Exodus and how God had provided for those wandering in the wilderness. But during this time, they would also have a lot of ceremonies, a lot of festivals. And so this was quite the occasion. Everyone was there. The who's who were there. And so his brothers say, you need to come here. You need to do your stuff there so that you can be known to everyone. And maybe you'll gain back some of your disciples. We see this in verse 2. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand, which lasted a week long. So his brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And so his brothers say, come on, Jesus, let's go. Let's go to the feast that your fame may spread. Now, Jesus initially says no because he's waiting on the timing of his heavenly father, which is a whole nother amazing sermon that we're not going to get to today. But Jesus says, no, it's not my time yet. You can go, but I have to wait for God to to prompt me, for my father to prompt me. So finally, Jesus goes up to the Feast of Booths. And when he gets there, there is this confusion among the crowd. Who is Jesus, they ask. Sorry. Who is Jesus? And they're asking this question, who is Jesus? And there's all of this speculation of who he might be. And so today we're going to look at that same question of who is Jesus, okay? All right, so there is this confusion about Jesus, and people are asking these questions. If you look in verse 10, it says, And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he is a good man, others said, No, he is leading people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. And then if you go down to verse 43, we actually see as Jesus is teaching and people are speculating about who he is, it says that there was a division among the people. The people could not agree on who Jesus is. They couldn't agree on his identity and because they didn't know who he was, they didn't know what to do with him. They didn't know whether to follow him or to arrest him. And so there's a speculation, who is Jesus? This is the question that's given to us. It's a question that we cannot escape. It's a question that we cannot ignore as much as we want to. It's a question that if we try to ignore it, will be much more worse than if we deal it head on. And so we want to look at the question, who is Jesus? Now, if you look in your bulletins, this is actually the second main point, which is probably the only thing I'll actually talk about today. It's the confusion about Jesus. You know, some of you here may be wondering, how do we know Jesus really lived? 
maybe Jesus is just a legend. Maybe it just, you know, he did a few things or maybe he never existed. He was just created. And how do we know that Jesus really existed? Well, you see, after Jesus died and rose again, uh, the, the, the testimonies of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus started going out just 20 years later. And so the apostle Paul started writing letters, the gospels were being written. And so as these things were circulated, nobody blinked at them. Nobody said, you know what, that didn't really happen. You know, I was there. I don't know what they're talking about. Everyone accepted the claims, even non-Christians, even the great historian Josephus believed all of these things about Jesus. He was not a Christian, but he believed these teachings that Jesus had. He believed the miracles Jesus did. He even claims the resurrection as historical. You know, there is a group of people, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but there are people out there who want to claim that the Holocaust never happened. Have you heard of this? Have you heard of people that are claiming that the Holocaust never happened? I mean, what happens when that happens? Okay, so the Holocaust was, what, 70 years ago? It ended in 1945-ish. And so when, when these claims come out that the Holocaust never happened, people are standing up everywhere and saying, no, the Holocaust happened. I was there. I was a part of it. Five million Jews were killed. You see, even 70 years later, this, this ridiculous claim can't get off the ground because there's too many witnesses around. You know, they'd have to wait at least probably 200 years before people would start believing them. With Jesus, these, these testimonies, these records are written not 70 years later, 20 years later, 30 years later, 40 years later, where people are still around and everyone's saying, yes, Jesus was there. Jesus did these things. Historians agree. And so we know Jesus wasn't just a legend. Maybe Jesus, though, was a good teacher. You know, worldwide, this is probably the most common answer to the question, who is Jesus? Many non-Christians, even Muslims or, or Buddhists or Jews, would say, you know, Jesus was a prophet. Jesus was a good man. Jesus was a moral teacher. I think this is probably the most popular opinion of who Jesus is because it's the safest, right? You can give Jesus dignity, but you can say he has no authority over my life. This was the speculation at the feast. In verse 12, People said, he is a good man. In verse 40, they said, this really is the prophet, the teacher from God. And so they thought, you know what? Jesus is a moral teacher. He is a good man. But what we'll see is that this is, this is actually the worst of all the options that we'll look through. Jesus could not be a good teacher. He could not simply be a good man because Jesus claimed to be God. You know, there are several places in the New Testament where Jesus claims to be God. I'll just give you a few. Throughout the Gospel of John are the I am statements where Jesus says, I am the vine, I am the gate, I am the way, the truth, and the life. All of these are claims of divinity because the, the, the term I am is the name of God. The name God gives himself in the Old Testament. And so even in the next chapter, in John 8, Jesus says, before Abraham was born, I am. And the Jews pick up stones to kill him because they know Jesus is claiming to be God. So Jesus claims to be God. In other places, we see Jesus saying, your sins are forgiven. You may remember the time of the, when the paralyzed man is lowered down through the roof, and Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. And the people ask the question, who can forgive sins but God alone? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And the answer is, no one. Jesus is claiming to be God. 
Finally, later in the Gospel of John, when, uh, when Jesus is resurrected and he appears to Thomas, he proves himself to Thomas, and Thomas responds by saying, my Lord and my God. And Jesus doesn't correct him. Rather, Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And so Jesus says, yes, it is true. I am Lord and I am God. So you see, Jesus could not merely be a good teacher because anyone who claims to be God either has to be or they're a fool. I mean, Jesus wasn't the first person to claim God, and he probably won't be the last. And so what sets him apart? Well, if Jesus couldn't be a good teacher, what are the other options? Now, you may have heard of these before, but people say Jesus could either be a lunatic, he could be a liar, or he could be Lord. And we see all of those opinions were even there at the Feast of Booths. First, lunatic. In other words, Jesus truly believed he was God, but he was just crazy. He was demon-possessed. He was he was out of it. He was goofy, right? Verse 20, the crowd said, you have a demon. You must be crazy. You know, if you were walking down the street in Green Bay, if you're going down Broadway and a homeless man came up to you and said, I am the God of the universe. I created the universe. I created you. I am the God of the universe. How would you respond to that person? Well, you would probably feel bad for them, right? You would maybe call the cops and get them sent away to a mental institution. But you'd probably just dismiss them as a lunatic, as a little bit crazy, a little bit off, maybe drunk. And then you'd go on your way and you'd ignore them. Maybe Jesus was just a lunatic. Maybe Jesus just really believed he was God, but he wasn't. But you see, when we see that claim, when we understand that claim, our question is, does that square with what we know about Jesus? Does that square with the teachings of Scripture, with history? And the answer is no. If Jesus was a lunatic, why is it that his teachings captivated thousands of people? Lunatics don't do that. Why is it that people left everything to follow him. Why is it that 2,000 years later, his sayings are still changing people's lives? Those are not teachings of a lunatic. In a way, Jesus seemed to be the most sane person to ever walk the face of the earth. Jesus seemed to know the human heart more than anyone else ever did. And so it doesn't seem to square that Jesus is a lunatic, although it could be possible. You know, if you looked up, if you just Googled, five most influential people in the history of the world. On that list of top five, uh, almost inevitably will be Jesus. When you think about whether you're a Christian or not, doesn't matter. When you think about it, there are governments who followed his teaching. There were wars that were fought over him. He's just one of the most influential people in the world. A lot of mercy ministries set up because of him. But when you look at the other people on that list, none of them claim to be God. Muhammad didn't claim to be God. Buddha didn't claim to be God. They just claimed to be good teachers. Matter of fact, if you look at the list of the top 1,000, if any of them claimed to be God, all of them would have been easily dismissed. If Hitler claimed to be God, which I think he did, people just say, that's foolish. It's silly. He was wicked. He was evil. But Jesus claimed to be God. And yet he still is one of the most influential people, if not the most influential person to ever walk the face of the earth. And so it doesn't seem to square that Jesus is a lunatic. But maybe Jesus is a liar. 
Maybe he is a deceiver. Maybe he is just tricking people. Maybe he is a con artist. You know, this, this whole pretending to be God thing could be pretty profitable, couldn't it? You could get a lot of people serving you and worshiping you and giving you money. This was the accusation of some in the crowd. Verse 12 says, and there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he is a good man, others said, no, he is leading people astray. He is deceiving them. And then in verse 45, the, 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 the temple guard was sent out to go arrest him. And they come back and it says, officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. And then how did the Pharisees respond? They said, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or Pharisees believed in him? So the religious leaders of the day say, Jesus is just a deceiver. He is deceiving simple-minded people, people who have never been to a rabbinical school, who've never been to seminary, who are just simple-minded people. He's deceiving them all. They're not smart like us. They don't follow after him like we do. He's a deceiver. One reason it's hard to believe that Jesus is the deceiver is because of the miracles that he did the feeding of the 5,000, the healing of the sick, the raising of the dead. These were not done in private, but this was done with hundreds, again, thousands of people around. These are, these are miracles that are tested by historians that are not Christians. They say these things really happen. Well, maybe Jesus was just a really amazing magician, right? Maybe he took five loaves, two fishes, and multiplied. Maybe he's just a great magician. Could that be? Maybe his disciples were in on it. They were his helpers, and they helped make all this happen. Well, that's also hard to believe because those that were closest to Jesus, his family, his disciples, the people who were with him 24-7, the people that saw him raised from birth, none of them blew the whistle on Jesus. None of them said, you know, he's, he's a crazy guy. You know, he doesn't really know what he's doing. They did it during his life. But after his death and resurrection, all of them followed him. All of them worshiped him. All of them proclaimed that Jesus is the son of God, that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah. Have you ever had, you know, someone come up to you and you're talking about a coworker or someone in your family and they're saying, yeah, so-and-so, they're such an amazing person. They go on and they rave about them and you're just sitting there going, you know, shut up already. It's quit. You know, I know this person, right? I know who they really are. They're not everything that you think that they are. I know them better than you do. Or, or maybe even if it is a great person, you're saying, yeah, they're great, but there's some weaknesses alongside that. Jesus' disciples who were with him all the time, his family who was with him from birth, who saw every part of Jesus' life, said, He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And they testified it, even through torture and death. There was a, um, I read a a biography about the founder of Young Life. His name is Jim Rayburn. And Jim Rayburn uh, started the ministry Young Life, which has been impactful in my life and Trisha's life and in many of your lives, I think. And it was so interesting to read his biography because you think of this man who started this great ministry that's affected many people, that have brought many people to Christ, and you think this must have been just the perfect, most amazing man. But when you read this biography written by his son, you see this guy was a mess. This guy, uh, he, he sacrificed his family for the sake of ministry. Ministry was his mistress. 
And so his kids were raised without a dad, more or less, because he was gone all the time preaching and teaching. And so they grow up and their lives are all messed up. His wife is, I believe they get a divorce. But what you see is the people that are closest to others know the mess. And yet those who were closest to Jesus said, he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is God. So if Jesus is not a good teacher, which, which cannot possibly be true, Jesus is either a lunatic who won over millions of people, or he is a liar that deceived even his family members closest to him, or the final option is that Jesus is who he actually said he was, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Christ. There's multiple places in here. Verse 26, people say, can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? In verse 31, yet many people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? In other words, what else must Jesus do to prove that he is the Christ? What other evidence does he have to give to prove to these people that he is the Messiah? The evidence is overwhelming. You know, we began by asking this unavoidable, life-altering question. Who is Jesus? And as difficult as it is to believe that this rural carpenter Jesus is God, it is far more difficult, when you look at the evidence, it is far more difficult to believe that he was just a liar or a lunatic. You see, as much faith as it takes to trust Jesus is the son of God. It takes more faith to believe that he wasn't. Yesterday, I was, um, I was in the Dells with my family, and we were at this little water park, and there was a lot of, it was, it was kind of for kids. There was no big slides. And I was in there, and there was this woman who was, you know, playing with her son. She'd blow bubbles with him, and then she'd back away, and she'd just kind of, you know, watch for him and see where he went, make sure he didn't get in any trouble. When he would scrape his knee, come over and she'd kiss it, and which which is a normal mom thing to do, right? Well, one of the interesting features about this woman is that she had all of these tattoos, and I'm not saying tattoos are right or wrong. I don't I don't know, but she had tattoos on her calf muscle, tattoos on her arm, tattoos on her neck. You know, it wasn't just like this little pink flower that girls do. I mean, this was this was like, man, this lady's life was really different 20 years ago. You could just tell by what was tattooed on her. You see, her devotion to that one person, to that one child, changed everything about her. When we look at Jesus, when we try to understand who he is, when we claim who he is, if we claim that Jesus is Lord, if we claim that Jesus is God, that Jesus is Savior, it changes everything, and it makes life sweet. The evidence is there. The evidence is overwhelming. And the question is, who do you say Jesus is? C.S. Lewis said this about Jesus' identity. He said, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. Those are the options. You cannot remain neutral to Jesus. You cannot just say he is a good teacher. You either love him or you dismiss him and hate him. 
You know, you may be here today and you may be saying, you know, I see the evidence. The evidence is overwhelming that Jesus is who he said he was. Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. But what does it matter what I confess? My lifestyle is a wreck. I walked away from him long ago. I stopped believing that he had any authority in my life. But the good news is if Jesus is Lord and Jesus is God and Jesus is Christ, it also means that Jesus is Savior. You know, Jesus said that he had the ability to forgive your sins. No matter how dark they are, no matter how deep they are, no matter how many times you have run away or spit in his face, he says, I can forgive you. And if Jesus is God, then he could go to the cross for us. And he could stand there as a, as, as a, as a mediator between us and God. And he can take on our sin, all of it, fully, and pay for it and reconcile us with our Heavenly Father. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. This offer is from Christ. He says, believe in me. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. I am the Savior of the world, and you will be saved. Now, just one more thing. You may be here, and you may be a Christian, and you may say, you know, I've already made this decision a long time ago. I've decided that Jesus is not a liar. He is not a lunatic. Jesus is Lord. So how does this sermon, how does this passage impact my life? Well, let's think about that a little bit. If Jesus is Lord, if he is Savior, does it have any effect on your workplace? If Jesus is Lord, if Jesus is Savior, does it affect any way you love and care for your spouse? If Jesus is Lord and if Jesus is Messiah and Savior, Does it affect how you spend your money? Absolutely. You see, even though intellectually, many times we are convinced that Jesus is God, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Savior, we don't let it affect our heart, and we don't let it transform our actions. If Jesus truly is who he says he is, if Jesus truly is God, if Jesus truly is Lord and Messiah and Savior, then he demands everything from us all of our life, because he gave his life for us. Let's pray. Lord, as we come and once again consider who you are, we're reminded that the evidence is overwhelming, that your divinity is so clear through your miracles and through through your teachings. And yet we confess that we so often act like it's not true. God, I pray if there's anyone here who is considering Jesus as a Savior or her Savior, that today they would surrender their life, God, knowing that there is grace and forgiveness because he is not only God, he is not only Lord, he is not only Messiah, he is Savior. We thank you for that glorious truth. In Christ's name, amen.